This is God's holy and infallible word. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. That's God's word for us this morning, friends. So Ascension Day doesn't quite match up to Christmas Good Friday and Easter in terms of popularity. It was Ascension Day this past Thursday, and I wonder how many of us even caught that. There weren't too many family get-togethers, I'll bet. There was no time off school or work. Uh, No Hallmark cards, I don't think. But in addition to Jesus' birth, his death on the cross, his resurrection, Christ's ascension is a high point, literally, It is a high point of Jesus' life and work, and it means a lot for our lives. Pastor Tim Keller once described the ascension as, uh, in kind of an interesting way that grabbed me this past week, as the detonator that releases all that Jesus accomplished to us and to this world. The power of the ascension triggers an explosion of his blessing. And that blessing comes to his church and it empowers the church for our mission, which is something to think about this time of year when we've elected new elders and deacons. We've voted last week on this budget to support our new church year that starts June 1. We're seeking to end this year and begin the next strongly in the Lord. I feel like we more often talk about the power of Pentecost, and that makes sense. It's when the Spirit came in a special way, 10 days after the ascension Jesus promised him in our text, Pentecost. But I think we can talk about the power of the ascension, too. If we miss the ascension, if we miss the power of the ascension, Uh, we we could kind of be like the disciples were in verse 10. Uh, Reading between the lines a little bit, they seem to have been sad about Jesus' departure. They were staring up, why did he go? They, They seem to have been puzzled, sort of temporarily stuck. 
two angels show up and they're like, what are you doing? Don't you get it? This too was part of God's plan. The same guy who wrote Acts, Luke, also wrote a gospel and he gives us an abbreviated version of the ascension there. At the very end of Luke 24, we read that the disciples did end up getting unstuck and they got the ascension because we read there that after the ascension, they ended up worshiping the Lord. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they stayed in the temple praising God. So they moved forward and soon they'd really be moving forward under the power of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Everything Jesus came to bring, his joy, his salvation, his love, his comfort, his truth, it detonated in a powerful way because of this event, because of the ascension. We see it right after the resurrection already in the Gospel of John when Mary wanted to hold Jesus. Remember he said that kind of interesting thing? Do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. What was that about? Was there something about his body that you couldn't touch? Well, we know that's not true because Jesus later invited Thomas to touch his wounds. So it wasn't like he couldn't be touched, but maybe Jesus says to her, do not hold on to me because he's saying, let me go back to the Father. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. This is part of the plan that I'm going to go to heaven with my Father. And then, ascended, his presence would be with Mary and with all his children forever. It wouldn't have to be that Jesus would be present with people just when he was in the flesh in front of them. Now, wherever God's children are in this world, whatever circumstance, he is with us. Whether we're alone in a nursing home, whether we're laying in a hospital bed, whether we're like God's children throughout the ages who've been persecuted, whether we're sitting in a prison cell, we're never alone. That's part of the power of Jesus' return to heaven for us today. If we miss the power of the ascension, we're going to be left immobilized like the disciples were at first. And it's possible to get stuck in our lives. It's possible for a church to kind of get stuck, not be moving forward in power. But in fact, because Jesus went to the Father, we can go in power like the disciples in our lives, in the church. There's a show on TV that I watch with one of my daughters called The Flash. I don't know if you heard of it. The Flash is a guy who has superhuman powers of speed. He zips through the city to save people. He breaks the sound barrier even. Incredible power. It propels him forward. The ascension propels us forward with a supernatural power from on high. This Tim Keller suggests that the three offices of Jesus can help us see how that power works. And, you know, that's, that's a helpful way to understand the work that Jesus came to do. By knowing something of those three offices, 
in the Old Testament. There were the prophets, the priests, and the kings. What they did pointed people to Jesus who was going to come and his work of salvation. Well, Jesus came in the fullness of time and he perfectly fulfilled the work of all three. And, and so that's what I want to do for the rest of our time is look at the practical ascension implications of Jesus being our chief prophet, our only high priest, and our eternal king. First, we see that the power of our heavenly prophet applies Christ's word to our witness. It's a mouthful. Each one of the three points are, I understand that. That's why they're going to be up here. You can refer back to them. Jesus taught on this earth. He preached. We're studying a sermon of his, the Sermon on the Mount. Most people would talk about Jesus' teaching, I think, only in the past tense. But that's not right. Of course you might say Jesus' teaching ended when he ascended because he left. And, and you know, maybe that's what the disciples were thinking as they gazed up. He was only with us for three years. He taught us so much, and now it's done. It's like you have this amazing teacher, and you've all had him in high school or in college. You graduate, school's over, and it's done. You're never going to be in their classroom again. In this case, you're not leaving the school, but the amazing teacher, Jesus, has left the building. But verse 1 says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Instead of saying, I wrote about all that Jesus taught. So he's saying it's just the beginning. The Bible is saying Jesus' teaching has not ended. The Gospels were just the beginning of his teaching. And the rest of the book of Acts is about the early church. And so in the church, Jesus is continuing to teach. And this is a powerful, powerful idea. I want to show you a couple of other spots in Scripture that point us in the same direction. Last Sunday night, we're in Romans 10. It's about how people are converted. Paul gives us a golden chain in verse 14. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And it tells us how God uses preaching as a primary way people come to faith. And that's that's why we value preaching so much faith. It's why we take it seriously. It's why we as pastors provide not just one sermon every Sunday, like the majority of churches, but two. But there's more going on here. The original language Greek says, how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? Not of whom they heard. Whom they heard. So what that means is that in the church, in preaching, people aren't just hearing about Jesus. They're hearing Jesus himself. That's what the Bible says. And it's a powerful idea. And so Jesus still teaches his disciples today. Jesus himself teaches us today through the faithful proclamation of his word. 
we get added to this picture, Ephesians 4, 20 and 21. We have almost the same thing here where our Bible translators almost don't dare show us the full extent of the power that's in the church when they turn a whom to an of whom. Paul says, you did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him. He's talking about how people are saved, the church. But in the Greek, it's not you heard of him, but you heard him. So you don't hear about Jesus in the ministry. Somehow you hear him. It's a great mystery. Ephesians 2.17, it's about the unity of the church. Paul says, he preached peace to you. He, not talking about Paul himself, he, he says, he preached peace to you. Jesus preached it to you in, in Ephesus. How can that possibly be? Jesus never traveled to Ephesus. But he did, in a sense, and he comes today to his people. He ascended to make that possible. Instead of being on earth, now, from the right hand of the Father, his teaching ministry, his word, goes forth in the church. His teaching, his word, it's unleashed in a whole new way, far beyond what was possible from just a hillside in ancient Israel where a few hundred people or a few thousand could listen. But now everywhere the faithful church gathers, we can hear Jesus. Do you think maybe we've got something special here? You think maybe the church is worth being engaged in and active in and excited about? We have this very high view of the ministry of the church at faith because that's what the Bible tells us. And so it's not lightly or casually that our deacons ask for our time and talents and treasure to support this church. It's with great seriousness that we're dedicated to the task. I hope, and I know this is the case, that, that many of you support other ministries and other Christian organizations. But you've got to know, there's only one place where Jesus' very word comes in power to people. There's only one place in all the world, and that is in the church of Jesus Christ. Before Jesus ascends, he commissions his disciples along these lines. In verse 6, the disciples ask, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And then in verse 8, Jesus responds, and he kind of turns it on, and he says, you will be my witnesses. The disciples are saying, Lord, when are, when are you going to do this? And Jesus is like, no, you. You will be my witnesses, my representatives. And he commissions them. He commissions us in the mission of the church. We wonder about that, being his witness. We wonder what we have to contribute to the church, maybe. We're not wealthy, maybe. Uh, we don't have the time in our schedule we wish we had. We're not a great speaker, Maybe we're a little quiet, we're not very social, we're not this or that. We feel very inadequate. But you know, once Jesus referred to John the Baptist, 
John the Baptist, as the greatest prophet. And then you know what he said after that? He said, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. If you're a Christian, even if you feel like you're a pretty weak one, doesn't matter. Jesus says you're greater than John the Baptist. And that's because of the power of the accomplished work of Jesus, his resurrection, his ascension in heaven. And that should really give us courage. Because it's not about us. It's not about what we're trying to do. It's not about us trying to sell something, people. This is about Jesus and his word. Tim Keller tells about the famous preacher George uh, Whitfield in the 1700s and how he, as well as many other amazing preachers you may have heard that I've heard too, they, some, some of these preachers have this tremendous authority, like an authority when they preach. Well, George Whitfield had this, and, and we, we get a clue what it was about because once he saw someone asleep as he was preaching, and he pounded his foot down harshly where he stood. I don't know what it sounds like. Oh, that's a good thump. I don't know what the platform was, but it was enough, the pound combined with the platform, that the person startled awake. Woodfleet said, sorry, but I did mean to do that. And he said, if I had come to give my own words, I could let you take a snooze. And I'd let you sort of open up your eye every once in a while to check out what's going on. But I have not come with my own message, and I've not come in my own name, but in the name of the Lord. I must and I will be heard, he said. Well, we all of us carry the word of Jesus himself. We come with his authority. Jesus ascended in order to leave us with that. That's why we have that first E in our mission statement, experience God's word. It's because we get this. It's the task that Jesus has given us. The power of Jesus' ascension applies Christ's own word to our witness as a church. What does that mean for your commitment to the church and to worship and to the teaching here at faith if Jesus himself is teaching us? Well, it means, of course, we want to be here, right? We don't want to miss opportunities to hear a word from the Lord. We don't want to miss an opportunity to hear his continued teaching and what does that mean, I think, too, about uh, our, our, our passion or, or our desire to invite others to the church, whether you think about inviting them to a worship service or to a ministry or to an event? You know, we think about, oh, oh are they going to like it? Are people going to be friendly enough for them? Is our facility nice enough, new enough? Those are all important questions, but they're all secondary. The main thing for us to know is that we are inviting people to meet Jesus, to meet with others who are all meeting with Jesus. That's what the church is about. That's what we have to offer. 
unlike any other organization. So you can be confident, you can get excited about bringing people here. There's power. It's the same power that you experience and have in your life. And I know you've experienced it if you love Jesus. The same power that you have and that you've experienced in your life is for all in the ascended Lord Jesus. Second, the power of our heavenly high priest applies Christ's love to our hearts and to others. So also Christ's work as our perfect high priest comes to us in a special, powerful way because of the ascension. The priests in the Old Testament were these guys who worked in the temple or the tabernacle. They interceded for the people. That means they went between the holy God and the sinful people. They made these sacrifices for people's sins. All their work pointed ahead to Jesus' work on the cross where he became the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. When our catechism talks about what the ascension means for our life, the first thing it says is that because of the ascension, Jesus pleads our cause in heaven in the presence of the Father. He pleads our cause. We're sinners. We're not worthy. But because of the cross and resurrection, we are made right before God. We are accepted by God. We are loved by Him. You may not feel loved in your life. You may not feel worthy. You may, may feel that you're inadequate, that you haven't made much of yourself. The devil might accuse you and remind you of your shortcomings and how you are so unworthy of the love of God. But Christ. Ascension reminds us of the love of God. You are accepted before God. When you but trust in Jesus, then Jesus turns to the Father up there in heaven. He says, hey, this one's with me. I've got him covered. And you can be filled with the love of God in Jesus that is greater than your circumstances, greater than any way you might be feeling day by day. We're thankful for our moms today. You think about all that our moms teach us, their words and what we learn from them, and that's so important. But I think even more than that, when we think of our moms, what, what is bigger to me even than what we learn from them is just their love. That's what overwhelms me when I think about Moms, their love, no matter how much a kid might mess up, no matter how far afield they may go, a mother's love doesn't seem to end. Well, a mom's love points us to an even greater love, and no offense to any of our moms. You know, there's very little I could, I could say here that would be legitimate. We don't want to diss mothers, but I think you're going to be okay with this. No offense to our moms, but Jesus' love is greater it's purer, it's deeper, and it's wider for you. Whatever the greatest human love you may have been blessed to experience in your life is, because of Christ's work, our lives can explode with not just human love, even the greatest of human love, but with divine love, supernatural love. And it's so great that it overflows to those around us. As he loves us, we love others. 
If Jesus can love us who are still making mistakes, we're still so inadequate, then we can certainly love others. You notice after those three years that Jesus had with the disciples, then another 40 days after that, after the resurrection, they're still in our text asking Jesus about bringing in the kingdom for Israel. They still weren't getting it. They still didn't get that the kingdom of God was not about the political nation of Israel stuff. I would think Jesus would have been a little disappointed yet, but you know, he doesn't respond with, well, I better put a pause on this ascending to heaven thing. I better stay on this earth and do all of it myself because then it will be done perfectly and right. No, he still entrusts the work to those disciples and to us disciples today too. You look at the disciples here and throughout the Gospels and it's like, if Jesus could work with these clowns, he could certainly work with me and with all of us. And I think it really encourages us to be loving and patient with others, with other disciples, especially as I think about the tasks of the church and as we work together in the church. Because, you know, in the course of that, we can get frustrated sometimes with our fellow Christians. We can feel that, we can feel that people aren't stepping up in the church as much as we think we are, maybe. Or we think maybe people aren't giving like we are. Or, or we're disappointed with people's worship attendance or, or prayer life or what we think their prayer life is or with the way they're going about doing a ministry. But we continue to patiently love one another always. Jesus' love and his acceptance has been so great for you. Despite your faults and mine, he went to the cross. He intercedes for us continually before the Father, unworthy and unfaithful that we are, Because Jesus is in heaven as our high priest, we experience the power of Jesus' love in a special way. And with that power, we are gracious, and we are loving, and we are patient with all those around us. We express God's love, as we say in the second E of our mission statement, to one another in the church And of course, that love extends to those outside the church, people God might be calling to himself. And by virtue of creation, of course, all of people are God's children. We express God's love. We do it, and we can do it with ascension power. Finally, this morning, the power of our heavenly king applies Christ's rule to all our living. He's our perfect prophet, priest, and king. Jesus ascended into heaven. He was seated at the right hand of God. You know what the guy who sits at the right hand does? The person who's the right hand man, that's the guy who runs things. Our catechism tells us that Jesus ascended into heaven to show that he is head of the church and that the Father rules all things through him. He rules everything for the church, for his people, for you and me. King Jesus has a pretty expansive rule. 
That's a pretty big kingdom. The church, and more than the church, all things. And you know that all things includes all things in your life today. We don't always understand Christ's rule in our lives, especially when we go through hard times. But we trust Romans 8, 28, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. We might say that this truth is possible because of the power of the ascension. Because Jesus went to the Father's right hand and was given all authority, chance isn't ruling your life. A vindictive or mean deity like the ancient Greeks believed in isn't ruling all things, thank the Lord. As much as I enjoy Star Wars, and I get a kick out of May 4 this past week, Star Wars Day, and saying, may the 4th be with you, you know what? I'm so thankful that an impersonal force is not ruling and directing all things. No, you, you know what is ruling all things? You know who is? Our loving Savior. Your Jesus is ruling every part of your life and mine. And we, in turn, dedicate every part of our life to him in service. We can trust him with, with our, our heart, with our deepest dreams, with our intellect, with our emotions. We can trust him with our loved ones, with our, our, our possessions, We give it all to him. In every area of our life, we serve him. We bow the knee because then life works as he designed it. Jesus, as our heavenly king, connects us to that third E of our mission statement. At faith, we want to equip people for service to the king in all of life. And the catechism says he rules over everything for The church, for the church, for his people. The church is so central to God's kingdom plan. He uses us. He commissions us. We have something special here, friends. I'm so glad that you're part of the church. I'm so glad that you're part of this church. And if you're not this morning, I invite you to be. Join us and be a living member for Jesus. And so that's what I wanted to talk about this morning. The ascension of Jesus detonates a supernatural power. Jesus' very word is our witness Jesus' love is for you and for me and for others. And Jesus' rule extends to all things and to all our living. We cannot go wrong. We've got a beautiful purpose. We've got a glorious mission. This mission, this Lord Jesus ascended on high, deserves our service, our passion, are everything. Don't you think?